This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the third Sunday in November. It's November 17, 2013. We're in at 5 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices. And we're going to be discussing the human-to-computer language connection with our guest, William Mizell. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you with a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with our industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software or equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email question with uh, an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX. That's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send questions throughout the show at uh, techtalk at imi-us.com. And if you want to listen to us live and you can't get to your radio, we're being simulcast on the web, and you can tune into the show at KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. The upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. Uh, you can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so take advantage of that. And please call any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First, second, so we can review it. Our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista. And Dave just had his knee operated on, so we wish him the best. Okay, first thing we have here is New York City might look a little different in the rear, in the near future thanks to small, subtle updating coming to its streetlights. The city's current street light bulbs will soon be replaced with newer energy-saving LED lights. New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg's um, official website published a statement about PLAN, and it's P-L-A, capital NYC, so it's Plan NYC, initiative called a comprehensive long-term sustainability program that aims to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from city government operations uh, 30% by uh, 2017. The LED lights will save $14 million a year in taxpayer dollars, according to the release. About $6 million of that will be energy costs, and $8 million will be in maintenance costs. LED lights can last for us roughly 20 years, a great lifespan in comparison to high-pressure sodium lights currently installed, which need replacing about every six years. The transition will take place in three phases, with the first scheduled to be completed in 2015. Paul goes according to plan, the LED lights, for 250,000 streetlights will be in place by 2017. 
some energy-efficient pedestrian lights that have already been installed in Central Park. IBM didn't have to flaunt its debatable cloud dominance over Amazon Web Services on the sides of public buses, but it wanted to upstage the cloud kingping at its user conference this week. Big Blue could have just led with the news that its famous Jeopardy champ destroying Watson system is now available as a cloud service. Developers who want to incorporate Watson's ability to understand natural language and provide answers need only have their applications make a REST API, it's R-E-S-T, call to IBM's new Watson Developers Cloud. It doesn't require that you understand anything about machine learning other than the need to provide training data. Rob High, IBM CTO for Watson, said in a recent interview uh, with IMI's Tech Talk, if IBM actually delivers a workable cloud platform around Watson and developers actually take advantage of it to build new smart applications, it could be a really big deal. So we'll keep an eye on that for you. TechCrunch tells us that on the iPhone, Apple Maps and Google Maps apps have gotten all the headlines over the last several years, but MapQuest is still hanging in there despite a real lack of innovation over the years. Now the company is unveiling a huge update to its mobile app for iOS that provides a beautiful new alternative to the incumbents. According to Comscore, MapQuest still has the number three mobile app and is the number two map service for the desktop users. But the MapQuest team thinks it can do better. In fact, it shows it can, so it went back to the drawing board and completely re-imaged what uh, its mobile app should look like and how it works. The updated MapQuest app is designed to be faster, more responsive, and a whole lot easier to use than previous versions. The team completely redid its cartography, making streets easy to delineate and directions easier to follow. The app has adopted iOS 7's flat design concept and simplified fonts. It also clearly marked different types of streets by color, following an example set by old-school paper maps. Highways are designated with thick blue lines, main arteries are shown in yellow, and arrows have been added to one-way streets. That's pretty cool. We'll check that out for you, and uh, next week let you know what our feeling is about that. Okay, let's see. Fox News tells us that government requests for data soared from 3,580 to 2000 in 2009 to 10,918, and those are only the data demands the web giant is allowed to publish. A 2013 transparency report uh, described on the Internet's giant public policy blog is the latest in an ongoing effort to provide a window into worldwide governmental efforts to tap into digital profiles Google builds and the digital communications it relays. The report revealed a tremendous increase worldwide in government efforts to mine Google's data. The company has used the periodic disclosures as an opportunity to push back against those government demands, many of which Google is banned from even discussing. Companies including Microsoft, Yahoo, Facebook, and even Apple have in recent months increased their efforts to fight back against such government requests, notably the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act requests that are court-ordered and cannot legally be discussed. So we'll keep an eye on that. Let's see here. We have some stuff from Bottomline Personnel. You can go to bottomlinepublications.com. And um, 
it tells us that the best scholarship search engines, um, scholarships.com, provides the best possibilities overall, but has many ads and mismatches. The College Board's Big Future, that's bigfuture.collegeboard.org, is fast, ad-free, and screens out most promotional scholarships, but with scholarships only alphabetically, not by deadline or relevance. CAPEX, that's C-A-P-P-E-X dot com, gives useful information on competition for awards and the effort needed to apply, but registering results in a large number of recruiting emails. Zinch, Z-I-N-C-H dot com, has the best design website when an easy-to-use interface, but very few matches to local or specialized scholarships. FastWeb, which is fastweb.com, clearly labels promotional scholarships, but is full of ads and mostly recommends national scholarships. Try all of the sites to get a comprehensive sense of available scholarships, both nationally and locally or specialized. So obviously you want to check that out, especially um, if you have kids in or going to college. It's a major expense, and this might be able to uh, to help you. Okay, let's see if we can uh, get some more stuff here from uh, bottom line personnel. Um, they usually uh, best smartphones for taking pictures. They tell us that the Apple iPhone 5S, that's a new standard for smartphone photography. It's large aperture and pixel size, uh, taking significantly more light than the typical smartphone learning, better low-light photography. So uh, you may want to try that out. It's under $99 for the 16-gig model and a two-year AT&T contract, Sprint or Verizon contract as well. Prices climbed to 299 for 32 gig and 399 for the 64. HTC One has a sensor with extra large pixels that capture lots of light for high quality, low light performance. In Zoe mode, it can take up to 20 photos and up to three seconds of video simultaneously with a single snap of a shutter button. That gives you plenty of choices so that you can pick the picture or video that comes out best. It's $199.99 for the 32-gig model. And uh, they talk about the Nokia Lumia and for add-on lenses, the Sony QX10. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest, and we're going to talk to you today about human to computer language connection. I'm Tom DiOrio, we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio. It's the 17th of November, 2013, and as I mentioned to you uh, before the break, uh, uh, we're going to be talking to you about the human-to-computer language connection. Our guest is Bill Mizell. He began his career as a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at USC, writing a technical book on how computers can recognize patterns in data. He then went to industry, including founding a speech recognition company, 
Currently, he is an industry analyst covering commercial applications of speech and natural language technology with a newsletter and a blog. This year, Bill published a book for the general audiences called The Software Society, which discusses how software is increasingly impacting our culture and economy. Bill, thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us. My pleasure. So, first question I want to ask you, because I had a similar start, which was a failed start, but uh, when did you start your uh, speech recognition company? Very early, a little bit too early, in 1981. The company lasted 15 years, but, but, you know, that was at that time, Computers were pretty slow, so the systems were awfully expensive. It was hard to make a commercial success of it. Yeah, we were going to, uh, it's a funny coincidence, we were going to do the same thing in 1987. Oh, really? And and <laughs> and things were maybe a little faster, but since I have impeccable timing in everything I do, I don't know if you remember what happened in October of 87, but the market went down the tubes and all our backers, which includes the Included American Express and uh, the company that owns the Seven Eleven stores. Oh yeah. Um, decided it'd be more prudent for them to hold on to their money than to give us money for our startup. So that just yeah, never. Happened. I, now that you mentioned, I kind of remember something around about that because yeah, of course so, we were still in business um, at that time. Our timing was just uh, a little poor on that. You probably saved yourself a lot of. A lot of uh, frustrating efforts. <laughs> yeah, from what I see, yes. now. <laughs> and Siri is a good example of that. Anyway, um, why don't you give us some examples so our listeners can get a little base here of the language connection between people and computers so we can get a, a base to where we go from here. Okay, as you mentioned, uh, the one that mo- comes to most people's minds is Apple's Siri. You basically ask her a question like you might ask a human assistant, uh, in so-called uh, natural language, and she tries to give you an answer. You ask her to do something like make a call, and she tries to do what you ask, you know, very much like a personal assistant. Google's uh, voice search uh, has become something like a personal assistant. You wake your assistant up without pressing a button by saying, okay, Google, in the latest embodiment on the Google Nexus mobile phone, and continue on without pausing, tell Google what you want. For example... Okay, Google, what's the weather forecast? Uh, sounds very much like uh, like Siri, right? You can yep. initiate a web search by just uh, asking a question like you were talking to another person, and Google will now try to give you an answer rather than just a list of web pages. The answer might be displayed visually rather than spoken, for example, through what Google calls its knowledge graph, which usually tells you more than you ask. It's pretty interesting. I think the the new version of, of Siri has significantly improved over the the previous ones, which were frustrating for a number of reasons. One being it didn't understand you more of the times than it did, and that the answers it gave were probably not the answer you were looking for. Whereas now, I find um, if it's not giving me a giving me a message that uh, the service isn't available now for some strange reason. Um, for the most part, it gives me a written answer, but it's usually uh, usually on target. Does Google have the ability to, to speak the answer to you? I don't think Siri does, does it? They 
they don't really now accept that uh, because uh, you know they have it on mobile phones. They they are uh, introducing some voice only modes because you know if you're using it in the car, uh, you need the voice only mode. Uh, now Siri does more of that. Actually, the Siri is uh, almost one of automobile manufacturers building in an automatic connection to Siri with, through the through microphones in the car. So you can talk to Siri without by pressing a button on your on your uh, steering wheel, for example, depending upon what what uh, brand uh, there is. So it's the voice only uh, technology is is important, particularly in cars, at least in theory, to minimize the risk of trying to use your mobile phone while you're driving. Which, <clears throat> despite the fact there's law against it, uh, something like fifty percent of people do. Well, yeah, I mean, most of the time, except for the example you just gave, you've got to do something to the phone before you can use it as a hand-free device. Yeah, now um, with, with Google, as I said, uh, the latest phone, you don't have to touch it. You just say, okay, Google, and just ask your question. So um, it, they, they've, uh, they've tried to address, address that, that feature. That's if you're in a car. I mean, if I'm uh, well, sitting no, in my no, desk, it, it works with it, with the phone alone. It doesn't require any connection to the car. I'm saying so. It, it's constantly sitting there, putting listening. that connection in. So it's constantly listening, waiting for me to say Google. Okay, Google. Yeah, you have to say okay, Google. <laughs> okay, Google. <laughs> I guess they want it long enough so that uh, you don't accidentally say something about Google and have your phone start listening. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm worried about, you know, if I say Google and then all of a sudden it starts recording my conversation or something. Well, it'll start um, transcribing it for you. <laughs> a Siri yeah, will, who do you want to send this to? You can actually dictate an electronic mail with Apple Siri. Have they, have they gotten to the point where they can read your email to you? Yes, they do that. They have a voice-only mode. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Um, are there other players besides Google and Siri that are doing this? Uh, yeah, there are uh, a number of of uh, players. Uh, the, one of the major ones is uh, sort of a Samsung uh, cooperation with a company called Nuance Communications, which is not as well known as Samsung or Google, for example, but they're a billion-dollar uh, revenue company that specializes in speech recognition and natural language technology. And they are the speech recognition part of Siri, not the natural language part where it understands you. Uh, but the, uh, they, uh, they're not well known, but they have something, a free Dragon mobile assistant for your phone. And the, uh, that can do many of these things that we're talking about, uh, here, for example. In fact, I think people don't really understand how much, I think we should talk a little bit about just how much uh, Apple, Siri, and Google's uh, can do because people think of Google as voice search and they think of Siri as, you know, maybe call Joe. Uh, but besides doing things like that, you can launch applications. For example, you can say launch photos to launch the photo app or play Nora Jones to launch iTunes and automatically play a Nora Jones song. Um, you can say tell Mary I'll be right there. In, in exactly those words, and it will send a text marriage to the Mary in your contact list saying, I'll be right there. Uh, and you can tell it to tweet a message. Uh, similarly, you can say, set up a meeting at 9 to put a meeting on your calendar, and then Siri will ask you uh, for the missing information with who and so forth. 
uh, you can say, did the Giants win and get the score of the last game? You can ask what movies are playing and get a list of movies playing nearby. Uh, you can say, tell Siri to note that I spent $12 on lunch, and it'll put that on your notepad. Uh, you can say something like search the War of 1812 and it'll launch a Bing web search with the War of 1812. I think we don't, uh, you know, most people don't understand how much Siri can do. Actually, if you, when Siri uh, is listening and has that little uh, microphone icon on the screen, if yep. you look closely, you'll see a little info button. And if you touch that info button, it'll show you all the kinds of things you can say to Siri. So most people don't even notice that. But it's pretty, it's pretty impressive what they're doing nowadays. And Google's uh, similarly uh, expanding the kind of things that it can do and give you an answer. You can, For example, you can say, show me a video of how to peel garlic. <laughs> It'll find one on YouTube and play it for you. Really? Well, that's yeah, good. that's, that's one very interesting. Now, that are I these, from one uh, of their slides, so that, presumably that's accurate. Yeah, we have to take a break, but I want to pursue that... Uh, Question mark on the on the uh, iPhone screen here because uh, the question I want to ask when we come back from the break is this free field or is it a, a keyword uh, uh, based recognition? But uh, we'll hold that thought until after the break. This is Tom Diorio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM eleven hundred. We're talking to Bill Mizell about the human to computer language connection. Uh, I think I'm going to learn something from this show, which is always a good thing. So please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's Sunday the 17th of November 2013. We're having a really interesting conversation with Bill Mizell about the human to computer language connection. Before the break, uh, Bill was telling us about all the things that I didn't know about uh, that Siri can do. And there's a little question mark on the bottom when you see that microphone, and it lists a whole bunch of things. And the question I asked Bill before the break, but didn't give him a chance to answer, uh, was is this free field or is it keyword generated? So if I want to say, um, you know, take me from my current location to the nearest um, McDonald's. Do I have to have a keyword in there somewhere, like directions, or do I just say that free field and it goes off and does its thing? Well, the the part of, uh, you know, with speech recognition uh, has been around a long time, and people, uh, and what it used to do is basically you could dictate, you know, a report or something. So people who didn't like to dictate didn't care much about speech recognition. But they added this natural language understanding which, as you say, tries to do what you say. Now, that's a fairly new technology compared to speech recognition. So the speech recognition actually works pretty well, and the natural language uh, technology is pioneering. So everybody does it a little different, but it's a very complicated technology. And, yes, they do use some keywords. For example, if if you say something like, is United Airlines flight 318 on time? The fact that you said United Airlines and flight lets it know the context, lets it know that you're looking at airline reservations. Then it goes to kind of how do I interpret a sentence uh, with uh, airline transportation. Then it might look for something like on time to know what you're asking. So it's sort of a, you know, 
nobody reveals the exact technology, although there are a lot of papers on natural language processing, even books. Um, but essentially what it's doing is a series of things. And I think the thing that isn't fully recognized is that this all works from data. It's not like somebody has to sit down and write a series of rules. That used to be the way things were done. Now they take hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of questions, and they might have a human say what, you, what action should be taken when you say that and have, the, you know, for the initial development, they would figure out what the right answer should be, and then they'd let the computer process to figure out how to come up to that conclusion, looking at millions of examples and how it should come out. And, and so a lot of this is very automated once you get the data, but it's driven by data, and that's why we can expect it to do more and more over time because you're helping it out. Every time you ask it a question and has to say, I can't help you with that, that question is going to go into a database that they'll try to answer That the, in their next stage of release they'll try to answer. Google, for example, just announced that their speech recognition, uh, which again works from examples, uh, it is uh, has makes 25% less errors in the latest release. Uh, and uh, Nuance Communications, which I mentioned with the Dragon personal assistant, recently announced that uh, the latest its latest release uh, makes uh, 18% fewer errors, uh, and uh, that they expect that to see that uh, improvement continue every year. So you're talking about something like what was predicted for the Moore's law for transistors, where they would get more exponentially more dense. So they're talking about an exponential improvement in the accuracy of these things. So you can expect them to do more and more. And every time somebody asks a question that you might ask later, they're helping you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, um, I forget what the timing was between uh, the last release of iOS on on the iPhone and and the current one. But it, it seems to have significantly increased um, its accuracy and its un- understanding. So I gather it must be doing the same type of evolution that you just mentioned for Google. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I just want to reiterate what you suggested about those that have iPhones. Um, when you get Siri and you get that microphone and you see that question mark there, hit that question mark. Uh, which I did while Bill was talking. I mean, it gives you an amazing list of examples of under the different categories what you can do, as well as if you scroll past the last one, uh, scroll up past the last one, it even gives you some examples of things that you can ask it. So um, I think that's pretty impressive. I appreciate that. That's a really uh, that's a really nice feature. Um, I think another aspect of this natural language uh that we'll see more of, and we're already starting to see it, is dialogue. And what I mean by that is, in, with humans, if, you're, if somebody says something that isn't clear, you ask them a question to clarify it, or you ask a follow-on question uh, to go on. For example, uh, if you want to do a calendar entry and you say, schedule a meeting at 2 o'clock on Wednesday, it needs to ask you with whom, uh, so to put it on your calendar. So those are the kinds of things we're going to see more of. And with Google, for example... In terms of dialogue, it remembers context. So if you say something like, show me things to do in Santa Cruz, and then you ask, how far is it from here? It knows what you mean by it. It knows you mean Santa Cruz. 
That's an example from Google, so I presume it's accurate. <laughs> so that's pretty scary, though. That, I mean, that it is turning into something with... Oh, they, they've gone farther than that. With the latest release, they'll actually, if you allow them to, search your Gmail account to help you answer questions. So it's really? very personal. Talk about personal assistant. They don't like to nah. call it a personal assistant. Nobody quite knows what their personal assistant's name is because on the... Uh, on the the other phone that they own, so to speak, from Motorola, the latest Motorola phone, you say "Okay, Google now" instead of "Okay, Google." So some some uh, journalist has said that "Okay, the personal assistant it must be called Google now," but in this, uh, <laughs> on the Nexus phone, it's Google. So there, I think that there's, uh, I think it run. You know, it's, that's really a strange thing that they won't give it a name, but I think it has something to do. With something they claimed on a web, on one of their blogs that personal assistants are just a form of search, so this may be positioning for all the patent fights that you can expect between Apple and Google, which I think you've read a number of you've probably read a number of cases where um, uh, Google's being sued uh, by uh, Apple and some other people in terms of uh, using technology that uh, that they have patents for. Now, Bill, is is this learning experience by both Google and Apple staying on my device, or is it going to Apple and Google Galactic? No, this is all, you know, if you don't have a network connection, you can't use Siri or Google Now at this point. Obviously, it's a web search, so you have to have a network connection. Right. But it all goes to them. So your speech is recorded, and when I say you help out, <laughs> by working with it, by giving them more examples, uh, literally they have your recorded speech. So it's not, yeah. So it's not only helping me; it's helping them and other users of whatever that device happens to be. But how? Yeah, sec- I mean, in Africa, I mean, how secure? I mean, we just read an article in the week week in review of how everybody's pushing back now. Not everybody, but how they're pushing back on some of the requests from uh, the governmental intelligence agencies. Is this all the stuff? Is this stuff also in their bevy of information that they may be asked to release? So when I ask, you know, 14 times in, in a week, uh, where's the closest bar? They're getting all that information about me. Do I like to go to bars? Well, I would advise you not to ask, how do I make a... Uh, uh, a a Molotov cocktail? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, wait a minute. I see a black uh, SUV pulling up uh, in the <laughs> office here. Okay, um, I think we'll uh, we'll take a break. Um, we'll come back and uh, I'd like to pursue the the personal assistant and then start to talk about some of the impact uh, uh, th- that this will have on on consumers. Uh, this is Tom DiOria. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on uh, KFNX AM 1100. It's the 17th of November, 2013. We're talking to uh, Bill Mizell about uh, the human-to-computer language connection. And also, when we come back from the break, we're going to ask uh, Bill to talk uh, to us a little bit about the Software Society, a book that he wrote. Uh, so please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. 
I'm Tom DiOria, and uh, it's the 17th of November, 2013. We're talking to Bill Mizell about the human-to-computer language connection. And uh, before we get back to that, um, tell us a little bit about your book, The Software Society. Well, uh, there's there's really two major themes. I, the book goes all over the place in t- talking about how software is impacting our society, including things like cybersecurity and and so forth. But the main two main themes uh, really are in the book. One is what we're talking about today, the tightening connection between humans and computers and what that can mean for us in terms of essentially a partnership. Since mobile phones that you have that partnership with you at all times, it really makes it a connected uh, situation. I mean, you know, there's a movie coming out called Her, which in which the protagonist falls in love with a personal assistant, uh, whose voice is played uh, by a, uh, a well-known actress but you know the you know that goes a little far but you know we are going to think of these things i think as our friends and assistants and uh, i think it's going to become a very much a part of our life right now web search is certainly the way we do things when we want to find uh, a store or get directions and so forth and i think that goes a step further with personal assistant kind of technology so that's uh it's going to be a, a, a continuing evolution. Where can people get the book? The the book is available from Amazon or any other source. Uh, so just uh, go to Amazon and uh, uh, do a search for the Software Society or for my name, uh, Mizell, M-E-I-S-E-L. Okay, great. Okay, so let's let's get to uh, the future and tell us what you feel the long-term impact of this trend is on us, the consumer. Well, I think we're all kind of have experienced what I've called digital overload. You you have uh, all kinds of device devices, smartphones, tablet computers, your PC, auto auto infotainment systems, and smart TVs or and wearable computing devices are becoming mm-hmm. available. And every one of those has multiple applications. And you know, the Siri has uh, hundreds of thousands of applications available. And the applications and operating systems are constantly being updated with new features, so they change. And in terms of communications, we get messages from a number of communication channels, some important and some definitely not. And typing on a touch keyboard can be slow and error-prone. So this ability to just get to an answer, even if the answer is expressed, Visually, it doesn't have to be expressed by voice, but even if it's expressed visually, just skipping all these steps can be very important to consumers. Um, and essentially, the personal assistant, what the personal assistant does is it just says, has a user manual, just tell it what you want. And uh, that personal assistant should take care of the rest. And we'll see, more, you know, some of the examples we've given have shown that we're, we're getting closer to that already, and um, I certainly expect that to continue. Um, when you get a restaurant reservation through Siri, for example, it'll automatically connect you to Yelp for a restaurant review, for example. And by the way, huh. Apple gets paid for making that connection to Yelp rather than to someone else, so they are getting advertising revenues without you seeing an ad. So that's part of where, why we're going to see this. There's a lot of money being spent on this by companies like Apple, Google, Nuance, and so forth. And Oh, I mentioned earlier with Samsung, Samsung is using nuance technology for this rather than the built-in speech recognition in Android because they see the importance of having a direct connection to the consumer. So Samsung is a pic- in this picture, too. 
uh, working with nuance. So we're, we're going to see an awful lot of competition in the area of making this personal assistant something you love. So the back end of this has to be monstrous. I mean, if they're keeping all this data, this is good for companies like EMC and stuff. I mean, if they're, oh, gosh, if they're keeping know, all this information, all these questions, all these, all these locations I ask somewhere in the cloud there or in their you know data center, that's got to be exponential. They're even talking about having their own power generation station for some of these servers. Yeah, this is amazing. What about business? Is business into this? Yeah, business uh, business has a similar problem in that people want to use all these devices at work. So some people are bringing iPhones to work, some are bringing Android phones to work, and they want to be able to get to the company database. And the salesmen out in the field want to be able to get to salesforce.com and enter what's happening with a given customer. And so, you know, this problem even has gotten the name, bring your own device, BYOD, uh, and companies are trying to deal with having to deal with uh, with their uh, the device of choice by the, their um, of their employees that is dealing with their enterprise application. You're talking about another level of security where this is company proprietary information about what customers they're pursuing, what prices they're charging, etc. And uh, they have to deal with all these devices and try to support them. So a lot of there's a lot of companies coming out trying to make that simpler. Uh, trying, in fact, uh, the personal assistant model is already being used by some companies. Uh, OpenStream has is a, has a, a, a smaller company, but one that's in this field of building personal assistants for enterprises, and they have quite a few large customers that are already doing this for their employees, that basically you have a company-specific personal assistant that you say, uh, you know, uh, what's the address of uh, Sam Jones at uh, Prospect Y Incorporated? You know, that, those are the kinds of things that uh, are being done already. So we're not talking science fiction here. But that's got to be a, a monumental effort. I mean, most of the organizations that we deal with in our consulting business are very protective of people bringing in their own laptops and, or other devices and connecting it to the corporate infrastructure. Uh, so that's got to be a pretty daunting task. I guess you've got to weigh the advantage to business versus the the risk. Well, you know, yes and no. Um, I mean, there's always been an issue with... Um, with mobile employees, uh, for example, uh, BlackBerry got a lot of its business because it was supposed to be a more secure way of dealing with the company's email system. And, you know, so there were a lot of business-oriented software, and you've seen what their market share has dropped to. Now they're thinking of even selling that software for other phones to allow a more secure connection to the enterprise. But it's not a problem that'll go away. I mean, and what what will happen? I think is it. Well, it is happening, but, you know, in terms of what my conversations I've had with companies is they're all looking for a way to, to support multiple phones. And, you know, there are companies out there that provide an interface that is sort of pre-set up to support a, a bunch of phones without your having to do it in the IT department. So, you know, it's a connection, and, the, and those companies that are selling to enterprises built in the security features. So... Uh, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be issues, but they uh, certainly um, it's certainly a real thing. So, Bill, I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to 
that should take a lot longer than one minute, but that's what we have left. How how far can computer intelligence go based on all these advances that are being rapidly made now? Do you think that we're going to get to a point where robots are going to actually be uh, as intelligent as uh, science fiction tells us? Um, I, I disagree with a lot of the people that make those kinds of forecasts that it's going to kind of take over our lives and throw be more important than humans themselves uh, because I think that they're going to be our servants more than our, uh, our, our masters. Now, there is an issue with they're automating a lot of services uh, and that becoming a bit of a problem with, with jobs, but that's a whole other conversation. Uh, I'd rather see computer technology be used to make people smarter so they can keep their jobs rather than eliminating those jobs. Okay, Bill, I really appreciate you taking uh, the time to be with us. Uh, how do our listeners get in touch with you if they want to follow up? Uh, well, they can go to www.thesoftwaresociety.com, and there's ways to contact me there, or they can read my blog on some uh, some of these issues. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate it. It was really an, uh, an instructional show today. Next week, we're again to be live from our New York offices so that we can review um, and uh, we just went to the CES preview. We'll be out there in January for CES Las Vegas, but they had a preview in New York, so we're going to bring you some interviews from that show next week. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Edden's our executive, our producer, and Matt Campagni's our executive producer. And without Mike and the uh, KFNX, production department you wouldn't have heard a word we say today thank you again for listening and please don't forget to tune in to tech talk next week 5 p.m in new york on kfnx am 1100 remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to tech talk at imi-us.com have a great week and thanks again for listening